Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this day. We've had a good day today here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And as we are about to get into another talk, we pray for the Holy Spirit. Lord, you know what I'm going to talk about. I pray that you will choose my words and speak to all of our hearts about a topic that we all need to think very seriously about. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I think you can see the title of my talk on the screen there, The Dash on Your Tombstone. Have you ever heard a talk with a title like that? Anybody? Nobody? There's one person that's heard a talk <laughs> about this, and I've actually never given this talk before exactly like this, so this is going to be new for me. Uh, this is an ASI event, an ASI rally, and the focus of this weekend or this day is that every member should be a missionary, that we should be motivated to do what we can do to help other people to know Jesus. And I can't think of a topic, really, that's more motivating uh, than what we're going to talk about. There you see a dash on that stone. And can you imagine putting your name on there? Just put your name on there. I mean, I could put my name there. Steve Wahlberg, born April 5, 1959, and died, well, so far, I'm still here. I'm still alive. And there's a little uh, sentence below that that says, when you die, what will your family, friends, and the world say about the life that you lived? What will people say? Well, I'll, tell, I'll just be right up front with you that I've been thinking a lot about this recently because in the last two years, I've lost my mother and my father and my aunt. And it's been uh, actually quite, quite dramatic. Uh, there's a picture of my mom in her younger days, Sandy Wahlberg. She was quite striking. And here she is... Uh, quite a bit older. Here is her husband, Bill. She used to live in Palm, Palm Desert near Palm Springs, California. Here's my wife, Kristen, and me, and our son, Seth, and little Abby. Uh, my mother died, as you can see the date on here, February 10, 2017, so it was less than two years ago. My mother, I give her life to God. I hope that she'll be in the kingdom. Uh, she did not at least during her life, she did not believe in Jesus as her savior. She was very, very Jewish. I was raised Jewish, my family's Jewish. I became a Christian when I was 20 years old. And I prayed for my mom and sent her videos and gave her books and had a great relationship with her. Really, I had a wonderful relationship with my mother. But uh, she, never, she never made that decision, at least that I am aware of. Uh, as she finally had a, a double stroke unexpectedly, and she was in, uh, in a hospital, and I went and visited her, and she was, she was able to communicate a little bit, not, not a whole lot, and then she went down from there, and I have a picture, which I won't show you, of me with her right before she died. Uh, she didn't look very good at all. And I remember saying John 3.16 to her, whispering that in her ear and uh, talking to her about Jesus and that she can still believe in him and he loves, uh, he loves you. And, and uh, at one point I, I said to her, I think this was, this was the last time that I saw her. I, I knew that she didn't have much time left. Her body was shutting down. I could just see it, you know. And then I said to her, Mom, I hope I'll see you in heaven. And I remember she kind of she jerked. So she heard me. And then uh, the last word she said was, I love you. That was the last thing. And shortly thereafter, I went home that day. And then my, her, her husband called me at around 1230 at night and said that you know, he had just gotten word from the hospital that she had died. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, as I was right there with her, uh, in her, in her room at the facility, 
and just, you know, watching her breathing and just looking at her. She was largely unconscious, but she was still able to understand a little bit. And I just looked at her and I thought, you know, what is life really all about? You know, here is my own mother, and I just knew that she's not going to be breathing much longer. And what is life really about anyway? And I just, you know, I came to the conclusion, life is about God. Life is about knowing God and about helping other people. That's what life is about. And I remember uh, walking out of that nursing facility in Palm Desert for the last time. I knew this was the last time that she wasn't going to live much longer. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I am done with the devil. I'm just done with Satan. You know, Satan is the author of death and sin and suffering. And I just want nothing to do with him at all. I want to completely be on the side of Jesus. And as I mentioned, then she, then she died. And now, you know, there is that dash. You know, her life, um, her memory lives on and, and the lives that she's touched. But, you know, the dash really, you know, when it gets right down to it, that's it. It's the time period in between your birth and your death. That is the dash that's on your stone. Well, here is a picture of my dad. Um, April 2nd, 1929, October 14, 2018. So my dad died less than a month ago. And here's a picture of the two of them, Gene Wahlberg, when he married uh, my mother, Sandy Wahlberg. That was now sad to say they got divorced uh, when I was about 16. And I went and lived with my dad. My brother and sister went and lived with my mom. And a lot of different things happened. I became a Christian when I was 20 in 1979. I became a Christian through a long story. Some of you have read my book, From Hollywood to Heaven. But it was really through reading the book, The Desire of Ages. Somebody gave me that book. I read that book. And it was the chapter on Gethsemane. Chapter 74, Jesus suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what really got me. And here I was 20 years old, smoking marijuana, drinking alcohol, going to the discos, living a wild life, snorting cocaine, taking LSD. Sometimes I say I was a pot smoking, cocaine snorting, disco dancing, lost Jew. That was me. And a lot of things happened. I found out about Adventists and met an Adventist pastor. He gave me Desire of Ages. I took that book back to Cal State Northridge where I was going to school. My third year of college brought it into the, into the dormitory that I was in, a co-ed dorm with uh, the marijuana smoke. You could smell it going down the hallway and uh, guys and girls in my room at night because my roommate invited people. And it was just a crazy place. And there I read Desire of Ages and it changed my life. God can reach people no matter how, no matter where they are. Amen. He got a hold of me, and it was, it was uh, Desire of Ages, and it was the chapter on Gethsemane that really opened my eyes. Well, as soon as I became a Christian, my first thought just about was, I've got to win my dad over, because my dad and I are just very, very, very close. We were living together at the time still. Actually, I just moved out of the house, was in a dorm, but prior to that, I lived with him and his, his second wife uh, for about three years. Um, maybe it was, wasn't quite that long. Well, we, well, I lived with my dad, but then he had recently remarried to Anne. And I started just praying for my dad. I told my dad, Dad, I'm going to pray you into the kingdom. I'm going to pray you into the kingdom. I'm just going to, you're going to get there. And so I remember one time sitting with my dad. He had a carpet company. He was a businessman, a successful carpet company called Carpetland in West Hollywood. And uh, my sister worked for him for a while. And he did very well and had a house, a condo in Studio City, California, uh, not far from Universal Studios, right over the hill is Hollywood. That's the whole area where I grew up. And I remember shortly after I became a Christian, I went uh, to a park with my dad. The two of us, we sat in this uh, quiet park in somewhere around Tahunga or somewhere else, and uh, we started talking, and I was telling him about Jesus and the Bible and what God was doing in my life, and he and I were kind of wild together for a long time. And I remember him saying to me, very clearly, still remember this, he said, uh, 
Steve, he said, I, we were sitting on, on a bench in a park, and he said, I've got a, a nice home, I have a good job, I make good money, I have a good car, I have a wonderful wife, I have all these things going for me, but then he said, inside, of, inside he said, I'm just empty. I'm empty inside. And, uh, you know, he didn't really have an answer at that point, and we just had this real heart-to-heart conversation, and I, I told him, I said, Dad, what's going to fill your heart is going to be God. You need God in your life. And uh, at one point, he said, I can't force it. If it's going to happen, it's just, you know, it's just, it's got to happen to me like it's happened to you. So he began to read the Bible, little by little, like I did. When I read Desire of Ages, I was reading the Bible, and my dad started reading the Bible. And I'll give you a little quiz question. How many of you know what is the world's all-time best-selling book that has sold more copies than any other book ever written and been translated in more languages than any other book in the history of literature? That's right. If you answered the Bible, you're right. And a lot of times we don't really think about that. But this is humanity's all-time best-selling book. And I believe there's a reason for that, and that's because it's God's book. This is God's book. Now, how many of you know who is, of all the people that have ever lived, who is the most, uh, by far, the most famous single human being who's ever lived who has had more books written about him than any other human? It's Jesus. That's right. It's Jesus Christ. And he's got more followers than any other religion. It's Jesus. So, you know, we've got the world's best-selling book. We've got the most uh, famous human being who's ever lived, the Lord Jesus. And my dad started reading the Bible and learning about Jesus. And little by little by little, guess what happened to him? You know, God began to work in his life. God began to change his life. I tell you, there's power in in the Word of God. And there's power in Jesus Christ, and there's power in the Holy Spirit to really change someone. My dad used to pop pills, and he used to go to Vegas, he used to gamble, he used to, uh, you know, do all kinds of things he shouldn't have done. But the Lord changed his life, too. Uh, Me and my dad were just like the most unlikely people to become Christians. And Jesus got a hold of both of us. Well, um, my dad's life started winding down. Uh, When he was in his early, he died at the age of 89. My mother, I believe, was 84 uh, or 83. My dad, as he continued to read the Bible, the Lord just started changing him. And Jesus really came into his life, and he began to dedicate his life to ministry. I I just spoke at his funeral one week ago today at the Hollywood First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood. He eventually became an elder of that church. And, he, and there was a lot of people there. So uh, when Jesus began to change my dad, he just began to really, he developed a heart for ministry. And he, I, I just, I, you know, I have such respect for him. He used to go to nursing homes and just go from bed to bed to bed and pray with people that had no hope in their lives. He would go to hospitals and go from bed to bed to bed praying with people. He would say, you know, I want to make it a kingdom day. This has got to be a kingdom day. He, he visited cerebral palsy centers, and he got to know all these kids and adults that were wheelchair-bound, and he would just pray for them and with them. And, you know, people just fell in love with my father. Um, He was so involved in ministry. There was a lot of people that were at his memorial service because people just loved this man. He was just so kind and so nice, uh, so gentle. He had his faults, but he had more virtues than he had faults. Uh, As he got older, I remember when he was in his early 80s, uh, he, he, he would jog around the neighborhood just like this, you know, really slowly around the neighborhood, and he would quote Bible verses. He wrote out with his scribbly fingers, his scribbly uh, handwriting, over a hundred Bible texts. These are his cards, my dad's cards. And people in the neighborhood used to just think of, you know, there's that old man, Gene Wahlberg, running around the neighborhood quoting Bible verses. 
And it really touched people. And uh, you know, as, as finally he, he, got, he, he had an infection and he went into the hospital, and my, my whole family, we knew, my brother, my si- I now have two sisters, my brother, my two sisters, and me, and my, Anne's children, um, you know, we knew that uh, he was running out of time. We could, t- we could just tell, you know, his life was beginning to wind down. So he was transferred from the hospital to a nursing home in Glendale, California, a place called Montrose. Uh, and this is a picture of me the last time that I was with him. I was actually there for 10 days. I uh, you know, talked to my wife about it, that dad's in the, he's in the final, we don't know how much time he's got left. And so I just, um, it was just a little more than a month ago, I had the privilege of spending 10 days with my father. Um, staying in, in a new house that they had moved out of their old place. They were in a new place, he and his wife. And so I stayed there in the living room, had a bedded down on the floor while the place was getting ready for her to move out. And she had another lady that uh, helped her out there, Carolyn. And so um, I would drive five minutes away to the nursing home in the mornings, in the afternoon, in the evening. And I just visited with my father. And I tell you, some amazing things happened during those, uh, during those days. He was, he was, there, was, there were some points when he was still in the hospital, actually, where he was quite, he was quite discouraged. And uh, one day, you know, I, I went and we started talking, the, talking about the Bible because he didn't want to die. He wanted to live. I mean, he'd, he wanted to keep making life a kingdom day, and he'd be on the phone, and he would talk to people and pray with people. And he loved his wife and loved his kids, his family, had visitors, and he fought the day. He fought dying. You know, he didn't want to die. He wanted just to live as long as he could for the Lord. And, uh, and I kept telling him, Dad, and he was in pain, too. He had bed sores, and, and uh, he was just in pain. And I kept saying, Dad, all this is temporary. You know, you just, it, this is all temporary. You're just going around the curve. And once you get around the curve, you're going you're gonna to go to sleep in Jesus, and you're going to wake up, and the next thing you're going to know is it's going to be the coming of, of the Lord. Jesus is going to be here. And so, yeah, he, you know, he, he believed that. And, you know, he, he, uh, he strengthened his faith. And I think I've got a picture here. Oh, I forgot. I didn't. I, I, okay, the, the picture's coming. Um, like I said, I've never given this talk before, so I'm a little out of order on my slides. I'll show you that other picture in a few minutes that I was going to show you. But here's, a, here's a, a slide about the dash. And as I mentioned, you know, now we, we know he died October 14, 2018, so his life is a dash, too. My mother's is a dash, my dad's is a dash, and here's an interesting poem about a dash. It said, I read about a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For the dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash, what matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. Isn't that powerful? So think about this long and hard. All the things you'd like to change, you've never have um, how much, for you never have, you never know how much time, right, is left that can still be managed. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand, and I can't read that line, be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this Special dash might only last a little while. 
So when your eulogy is being read and your life actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about you and about how you spent your dash? <laughs> That's a lot to think about. There's a verse in the Bible. Open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, a good name is better than precious ointment. Now, the good name has to do with your character. And the ointment represents just, you know, the, the expensive things of the world. I remember one time, a long time ago, I read this verse to my son, Seth. He was just a little guy. Maybe he was seven years old. And I, I, said, I read for family worship, Seth, a good name is better than precious ointment. And he said, Dad, I have a good name, Seth. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. And then I explained to him that in the Bible, a good name really has to do with your character. I mean, yes, you have a good name. But what's most important is developing a character that is unselfish, that is loving, and that is like Jesus. That's what counts. A good name is better than a precious ointment, and the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. So if you have a choice between a party and a funeral, where's the best place to go? <laughs> it's a funeral. And, and the reason is, then the Bible says, for that is the end of all men and women. You know, the end result down the line is the funeral. And then it says, and the living will do what? The living will take it to heart. So the Bible says, you know, we should think about the fact that ultimately our life is just going to be a dash on a stone and the end of all of us is going to be, we're going to die someday unless Jesus comes first. And the living should take it to heart. They should think soberly about the future. And, and, and that's probably the, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from watching my mother die and then watching my dad die. You know, I, in our family, I mean, we've got, I've grown up and gone for years without any close relatives dying. And now I've had three in the last, just basically almost the last two years. My aunt first, then my mother, and then my dad. And as I've watched my mother slowly wind down, and then as I watched my dad slowly wind down, I've just been really, really impressed that life is very short, and that in the light of, of eternity, you know, eternity is a long time, and that it just makes the most sense to be ready for the day of your death if you do die before Jesus comes, is to be prepared for that. The living will take it to heart. And if you think about this, how many people die these days and they're not ready? Most people die and they're not ready. The vast majority of people, the Bible says in, uh, in the book of Hebrews, it is appointed to man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Most people are not ready to die. And I, as I looked at my mom and looked at my dad, I just thought, you know, it, it is insane. It's insane not to be ready for the day of your death. You don't want to look back and have all kinds of regrets, do you? Do you want to lay on your deathbed if you have that privilege of thinking about it? You know, a lot of people don't have that privilege. I don't know what's all come out of this California fire, the campfire, and, and, uh, you know, but I imagine some people died in that fire. And they were not, they probably, you know, they had no time to prepare. A lot of times they don't have that time. You know, my dad had, had weeks to get ready. He actually wrote out the people that he wanted to speak and sing at his funeral. He had the privilege of doing that. I asked him, I said, Dad, because he was Presbyterian, I said, uh, do, you, do you want Pastor Dan to do your service? And he said, no, I want you to do it. 
I want you to do it. My dad's read the conflict series. He read Desire of Ages, read Great Controversy. He did keep the Sabbath to some extent, as best he could. And, uh, and like I said, he gave his life to, in ministry to people. And I have a lot of confidence that my dad is going to be there. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that before I'm done. But anyway, you know, watching all of this has just really impressed me that we need to be ready and we need to use our dash quietly. Now, here, here's the picture I was going to show you. I thought this was my next slide. When he was still in the hospital and, and he was in pain and just, you know, his body was hurting, I, I, we had a little Bible study. I shared with him more about the promises of God, that Jesus is coming. This is temporary. It's all going to pass away. You're going to have a new body soon. You know, don't be discouraged. Uh, at one point, he just, you know, he raised his arms up like this. You can see the picture. Uh, and he, he just, he had this, gl this glow on his face. His glow on his face. And he just went like this. <laughs> and one of the reasons why he was so triumphant at that moment was because a few days earlier, um, my siblings had converged on the hospital on Father's Day to surprise him. I drove down, I, I flew into Sacramento for a, a speaking appointment, and I drove down to LA, down to Glendale to see him. It was a surprise, and uh, he wasn't expecting us, but he was under so much medication that he just, he didn't know any of us were there. And I thought, I wonder if my dad's ever going to come, come out of this. You know, is his mind ever going to come back? But he did, and I prayed for that. I said, God, please bring him back so I can say goodbye, Amen. so we can at least talk. And God did. God brought him back. His mind came back, and he lived for probably another three or four months. And, uh, and there was that one moment where he just went, yeah, you know, I'm going to finish strong. He kept saying that. I'm going to finish strong. That's my goal. I want to finish strong. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to be a good example. And, and he was a good example. Uh, here's a picture of him a few months later. This was during the 10 days when I was with him before he died, when he went from the hospital to the nursing home, to Montrose. And during those times, uh, it, you, it, you can't tell in this picture, but what he's doing right now is he's quoting the word of God. He's quoting his, his promises. He would just go over them again and again and again, and he would just say them. And I actually have three little video clips of him quoting promises as uh, and I put this on my Facebook page, and I think I sent it out through our e-newsletter. And so you can watch them if you'd like. They're all short. They're probably 30 seconds or a minute. And you just see an old man, you know, lying on his bed, quoting the word of God. At one point, it was, uh, it was amazing for me to watch during those last 10 days. Sometimes I would talk to him, and he would just go to sleep. And then I would take a walk, let him rest, and then I'd come back in. And one time, he was just, you know, he went to sleep. And then I came back in, and I was looking at him sleeping. And all of a sudden, he, he went like this. I, I kid you not. He was laying there, and he all of a sudden, he just woke up. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then he, he continued on where he said, the disciples said to, him, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And he's quoting this. And then Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And I was so tickled by that, to just see my dad, you know, sound asleep and just wake up quoting Bible verses. Isn't that powerful? Uh, you know, and, and th this whole thing has taught me, I've learned so many lessons watching my parents die and being with my dad. I've learned that, that uh, if I do die before Jesus comes and my life is just a dash, 
You know, how am I going to live my life? Let me live my life for God. And how important it is that I have his word in my life. Because when people get down to the closing moments of their lives, you know, it's, it's the promises of the Bible that keep them going, that give them hope. If we get down to the closing moments of our lives and we really don't know the word of God, we don't have these promises, you know, things can be very, very dark and very dismal. And, and you don't want to get into that situation. You don't want to be on the day on your deathbed and then think to yourself, no, I don't, I'm not ready. I don't know the Lord. I don't know the Bible. I don't have the promises of God in my heart. You know, you don't want to get to that point, Right? Right? You want to be ready for the day of your death. And you want to use your time that you've got for that during that little dash of your life to live for God and to be a missionary, right? Isn't that what this is all about? To do what you can to help other people. To get to know God and to help other people. That's what life is about. Life is not primarily about making money. It's not primarily about having a nice home. It's not primarily about having a retirement account. It's not primarily about, you know, any of these things. What is most important is your relationship with the Lord and using what you have to serve him and to help other people. That's really what counts. And when you get down to the very end, if you can look back on your life and if you can know that that's the life that you've lived, then I tell you, you'll be a whole lot better off than if you look back and have all kinds of regrets, what you should have done, how you should have lived, you know, the life that you could have lived but didn't live. I mean, it just, uh, it just makes all the... All the difference in the world. Okay, there I've got my next slide, the resurrection. How important is the resurrection? I've been an Adventist for almost 40 years, and the resurrection has been important to me, but not as important as it is to me right now. <laughs> it's more important to me than it's ever been before. Now, I've mentioned uh, the, the world's most, the world's best-selling book is the Bible. The world's most famous person is Jesus. And, and here's another quiz question. What did Jesus Christ teach that is different from any other religious leader that's ever taught in this world? And that includes Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, you know, all of them combined. Gandhi. What did Jesus teach that put him on a, in a class totally by himself, absolutely unique. Well, yeah, those are, all, those are all true, but there's something else. There's something Jesus taught and said that nobody's ever taught. No one wouldn't dare to say that. Jesus said, well, all these things are good, but, but Jesus said, I am going to beat death. I am going to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. But on the third day, I will rise again. Nobody would ever dare to say anything like that. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. All these religious leaders, Gandhi is dead. And I think I mentioned this this morning, that here's another quiz question. What is the most well-documented event, historical event in all of history? It's the resurrection of Jesus. That's right. If you were to bring all the evidence for the resurrection into a court of law and have a jury look at all the evidence, the evidence would be overwhelming a jury would come down on the side of there's just, there's just no way around it that Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. The evidence uh, is vast. He died a shameful death on a cross, 
We know he was dead. The soldier pierced his, pierced his side. He was definitely dead. No question about it. They broke the legs of the two thieves, but they didn't break Jesus' leg. Breaking your legs hastens your death. They didn't do that to Jesus because he was dead. He was definitely dead. They took his body off the cross, and a very wealthy Jew named Joseph asked Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, if he could have his body and put it in his tomb, and permission was granted. So the dead body of Jesus was taken off the cross and put inside this cold, dark rock tomb outside Jerusalem, and there was a massive stone rolled over it. A Roman seal was placed on it. The Pharisees went to Pilate and said, we want to make sure that the disciples don't come and steal his body and that we don't have any shenanigans. So Pilate said, all right, take a guard. And they was uh, in Desire of Ages, it says, a hundred soldiers were stationed outside that tomb. And, his, and Jesus' disciples were totally devastated and discouraged and just, you know, they had no reason to live anymore. They were hiding in a little room. So here you have a man that was definitely dead. His tomb was totally guarded. Pontius Pilate knew all about it. There were plenty of eyewitnesses that saw it. There's no way he could have gotten out of that tomb. Let's say he was just, let's say he wasn't dead. You know, maybe he was just uh, knocked out. How are you going to get out in, the, in, the, in total blackness after being whipped by uh, a Roman scourge and being all bloody and just, you know, hanging on a cross? How in the world is he going to find his way in the dark to this rock door and then move that stone? You can't do it. You can't do it. And even if he did do it, that would not qualify as a resurrection. But something happened on that Sunday morning. Something happened that was so phenomenal and so irrefutable, as Luke says, uh, many infallible proofs that changed everything. Something changed everything and made these fearful, discouraged, depressed, hopeless men fearless who were willing to die for their faith. And within a very short time, Christianity spread out all over the Roman Empire. I tell you, brothers and sisters, the reality is that the only event that could ex can logically explain all of these things is a real resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. He said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he was actually seen by over 500 people. So you've got eyewitnesses, you've got documentation, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written uh, within the, the lifetime of the people that, that were being described. You've got real people like Pontius Pilate, Herod, Annas, Caiaphas. You've got real, you know, real people, real witnesses. Jesus really did rise from the dead. There's no, there's no way around it. And when you get down to the very last moments of your life, if you are alive, or if you, I mean, if you die before Jesus comes, you know, what, what matters, what matters most is your relationship with God. It's how you've lived your dash. It's whether you've been unselfish, whether you've been a missionary, whether you've done things for God, whether you've confessed your sins, all your sins so they're all forgiven and cleansed and whether you have that hope of eternal life that when you breathe your last breath that Jesus will come and he will resurrect you when he comes. Uh, when I went to the memorial service at the Holy Presbyterian Church last Saturday, last Sabbath, I visited with a man named Eddie and his wife, Lori, because I found out that they were the last ones at my dad's bedside before he died. He died a week after I left. I was there for 10 days, and then a week later on a Sunday night, he died. And Eddie and Lori were with him. And last Saturday, last Sabbath, I asked them in the afternoon after the service, I said, please tell me 
more about what happened right when he died. Did he die in pain? What happened? And Eddie told me the most amazing thing. They were with him for about three hours. And as they got down near the end, he was, uh, he, he, they could tell that he was, he was fading. And my dad reached out his hand, and he and Eddie held hands. And my dad gripped him. He gripped his hands. And, the, and he, as he was, what happened was his blood pressure then just dropped. And uh, he turned white, and he had a hard time breathing, and he just died. And it was very quick. Not a lot of pain. And the last thing, you want to know the last thing my dad said? As he was holding Eddie's hand, he said, hallelujah, hallelujah. Those were his last words. Hallelujah. And I tell you, if, you know, if I die before Jesus comes, I should be so blessed to have a strong faith in God to have the promises of God in my soul, to be able to look back and know that I've lived for Jesus, that I've lived my dash in a way that pleases him, and that I can say, say that. A couple more texts. First Thessalonians, I read this at the memorial service. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant. Brethren, concerning them which are asleep. My dad is asleep. And Paul said, don't be ignorant about people that are asleep. I got a, uh, a text from my stepsister last night. And uh, she's, her husband is in, under hospice. She lives in Pennsylvania. And uh, she, she said, well, I know that when he dies, um, he's going to go home to be with Jesus. And I, t- I thought, uh, what should I say? So I texted her back. He, he was a strong Christian, and she is too. And I texted her back, and I said, well, I said, I actually don't believe that. I believe that when uh, Jerry dies, he's going to go to sleep in Jesus, and he's going to wait for the resurrection when Jesus comes. And then I, I, I wrote, I said, I actually wrote a little book on this, uh, and I'd be happy to send it to you for free if you'd like. And uh, I didn't hear anything back. And I thought, well, I wonder. And then uh, last night as I was lying in bed at around 10.30, I heard a doot, 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 a little text coming from my cell phone. <laughs> and, uh, and this morning I read it and it said, okay, from my stepsister. And I thought, all right. So this morning I sent her a copy of my book uh, as a PDF, a little book about what happens when you die, based on these verses. That you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. A lot of people in this world have no hope. You know, they die and they have no hope. And, and their relatives die and there's no hope. Or, or, you know, their relatives are alive and they don't hope, have hope of seeing their, their uh, loved one again. I used to be a pastor in North Dakota, and I remember the uh, funeral director once, as we were in the hearse heading to the cemetery after a funeral, she said to me, she said, Steve, she said, it's a, Pastor Steve, it's amazing to me. I've been to so many funerals because that's my job. And she said, it's a, there's a huge difference in the mood, in the tone, in the whole feeling of the service for someone that believes in Jesus and someone who doesn't. When you believe in Jesus, yes, we sorrow. Yes, we we have pain. But Paul said, don't sorrow as others who have no hope. See, we do sorrow, but we do have hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, I believe that. Even so, In other words, in the same way, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. It doesn't mean Jesus brings them from heaven. It means if we believe Jesus died and rose, even so, in the same way, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus up from the grave. That's what Paul's saying. That's the context. 
And then he goes on and clarifies this. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord, which is what I hope to be, shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. In other words, those that are alive won't go to heaven uh, first before those who are asleep. And those who are asleep don't get there first either. The point is we both go together when Jesus comes. That's what he says in the next verse. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those who are dead in in Christ, they're going to come up. You know, there's a whole lot of people that have died that are not dead in Christ. And they're not coming up at the second coming. They're going to come up later at the end of the millennium. That's what it says in Revelation 20. They'll come up in the final resurrection for a final judgment, and then they will experience the second death. And that's a death we don't want to ever participate in. That's a death that has no resurrection. It's a death you die and you're done. You're done forever. But if, we're, if we die in Jesus, we rise when he comes. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Here's this verse. Jesus comes down from heaven. The dead are raised, and then we are uh, changed and we are all caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So that's when we get to be together with our dead loved ones. It's when Jesus comes and the sleeping, the dead in Christ, they rise. Isn't that clear? They ri- and I read this in the Hollywood Presbyterian Church last Saturday. I read that right from the Bible and explained a little bit about it and said, you know, my dad is asleep in Jesus and he's waiting for the resurrection. And that's the hope that I have. I I really believe that, that God is good. My dad trusted him. He believed in Jesus. And I believe that that is going to happen, that he is going to come, he's going to come back. Every eye will see him. This is where our whole planet is moving toward the big day. There's millions of people in their graves that are kind of like spring-loaded, you know. They're ready to just come out. There's cemeteries all over the world that are going to crack. They're going to convulse this whole planet. There's going to be a vast multitude that are coming out of the grave when Jesus comes. Hallelujah. And they're going to be shouting, praise God, it's all over. The past is done. And then in verse 18, it says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Did I I read the end of verse 17? So shall we ever be with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord the Lord, and our loved ones who die believing in Jesus. Wherefore, Paul said, comfort one another with these words. These are the words of God. These are the most important words on the planet. This book is the most important book on the planet. Jesus is the most important person that's ever lived. The resurrection is the most well-documented event of all of all time. And the three angels' messages is God's message in the end times, which I talked about this morning. And we have the privilege, living down at the very end, to be part of this movement, to know these truths, and to help other people to get ready. So how are you going to use your dash? Will you be ready for the day, the day of death if you die? Will you be ready for Jesus to come if you are alive? Are you ready now? Take advantage of the time that you have. I've got two more slides and then I'm done. I love this verse. I read this verse to my dad a number of times. 
I just said, Dad, just keep your eye on the goal. This is all going to be over soon. Keep your eye on the future. Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5. It's so wonderful, these verses. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. The words of God are the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. The three angels' messages are the truth. Jesus is coming. That's the truth. If we die before he comes, what we do with the dash on our stone is what counts. And what you do with your life now and with your dash now will make all the difference in whether you'll be there or not. And ultimately, when Jesus comes and when it's all over and it starts again, what counts above everything else is your relationship with Jesus and on whether you have helped some other people, someone, to get there. Whether it's a glow track, whether it's a prayer, whether it's a Bible study, you know, whether it's a cooking school or medical missionary work or website involvement or posting the, the right words on social media, you know, whatever we can do for Jesus, brothers and sisters, let's do it. Let's use our time wisely for the Lord. That is what it's all about. That's why we're here. There's my last text right there. Revelation 22, verse 17, says, And the Spirit and the Bride, which is the new Jerusalem, says, Come. Come on. You know, make your choice to be on Jesus' side. It's the best choice you can ever make is to follow Jesus. We'll never be happy without Jesus. He's our maker. He's our savior. He's the truth. And it's through following him that we will find the real purpose and the meaning of life. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears, and we're hearing, let us say, come. <laughs> come to others. So that's where we come and then we say to others, come on. Isn't that what this ASI event's all about? Being a missionary? It's about saying, I come to Jesus, and then extending the invitation to other people and saying, come to them. And let him who's thirsty, you know, if we're thirsty for love, for God, for truth, for what's right, come. Let him who is thirsty come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. That's what we are offered, and that's what we are to offer to the world. We are to offer the water of life. I'll close with this uh, little story. Sunday night, October 14, one week, well, it was actually... Was it three or four weeks ago? That was the night my dad died. I was, it was 7 o'clock on Sunday night, and I was at my house. I hadn't seen my dad for a week. I'd been home for a week. And I said to Seth, age 14, and Abby, age 10, I said, let's call Grandpa Gene. Let's call Grandpa Gene. We did that a lot. 
So I grabbed my phone, and we, uh, I went on to um, FaceTime. So, you know, we like to see each other. I can see my dad, and my dad can see me. It's amazing, the technology. So I said, let's call Grandpa Gene. So I uh, pushed my FaceTime button, and it rang and rang and rang and rang and rang. And then it stopped ringing. So I thought, oh, sometimes he doesn't answer the first time around. Let's try again. So we pushed the button. It rang, it rang, it rang, it rang, it rang. And he didn't answer. And I thought, well, sometimes, you know, maybe I'll try one more time. Sometimes he picks up on the third. He had his kind of his bony hand, you know, that takes time to get to the phone. So I called again. It rang and rang and rang and rang and rang. And there was no answer. That was at 7 o'clock Sunday night, October 14th. I did not know that that was the time when my dad died. Uh, at 7.30, my phone rang. And it was my brother, Mike, from Indiana. And uh, I picked up the phone. I answered. I said, hi, Mike. He's a year younger than me. He's a radiologist in, in Indiana. And the first words he said was, it's over. It's over. And I was shocked. I, he said, yeah, Dad died about 7 o'clock, right at the time when I was calling him. That's when he died. And I, I, used, I, I mentioned that at, at the memorial service. And I said, I knew what my brother meant, that the pain and the suffering and the drama that we'd all been going through was over. But then I said, but in the light of the big picture, it's not over. <laughs> it's not over because Jesus is coming back again. And we're going to see dad again if we believe in Jesus Christ. And the, the last thing I want to leave with you is, you know, I called my dad three times and there was no answer. And my question to you is this. As, as God is calling you to give your life to him, what will your answer be? Will you, will you give no answer? No answer? No answer? Don't do that. Whether you're young, whether you're a young, young man, or whether you're uh, an older person, however old you are, young or old, Jesus Christ is calling us all to answer and to give him our lives and to let the dash that we've been given be a, a dash that we can look back on without regret, knowing that our sins are forgiven, we've given our lives to God, and we have been missionaries in whatever way God leads us in the time that we have left on earth before Jesus comes. Make sense? May God help us to give him our dash. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what an awesome privilege it is for me to be here in this church. This uh, message was recorded and it can go out and other people can watch it and listen to it. And Lord, I just pray that you will impress all of us, every one of us, that we have a very short life down here, that dash between birth and death there's, it's a, it's a uh, something we can't avoid. There's no way around it. And Lord, may we all answer you and hear your call right now and give our hearts to Jesus and develop a missionary spirit so we can be used by you to help other people to find their Savior, to find Jesus to find forgiveness and peace and joy and eternal life. Eternal life, the water of life that you are offering us all. Lord, bless us all and use us to reach people for Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel message with the world. 
You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support, and may God richly bless your day.